The answer to that is absolutely, okay? Uh, but the reason I say absolutely is because this is a part of you doing uh, something to answer the call of God upon your life, amen? And uh, will this guarantee you a job? Absolutely not, all right? But um, the idea is, of course, this is about preparing you for what God has called you to do and the plans and purposes that He has for your life, okay? So um, there are other things that uh, I used to spend a lot of time talking about. I'll spend about this much time talking about. And, um, and that is that uh, I am a nationally certified uh, addictions counselor with a level two uh, uh, attachment to that. And what the level two means is that hours that I teach count as continuing education units should someone pursue or choose to pursue a secular certification. So the, uh, the nationally certified addictions counselor is not a faith-based certification. It is um, a secular-based uh, certification. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. If that's something you think applies to you, then see me later and we can have uh, a discussion about that. Um, but these hours would count towards that if that's something that, um, that you are pursuing. Now, in that particular case, you would have to be um, uh, live here face-to-face um, for that to count. It would not count as distance learning, but it would have to be uh, face-to-face uh, learning. So, All right, um, let's um, praise God. Let's, I, there's a lot of preliminaries, but to be honest with you, I'm just kind of chomping at the bit to get started tonight. So if you have your Bibles, let's begin uh, in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And, um, and we'll look uh, at verse number 24. Acts chapter 20, verse number 24. Welcome to the 14th year of Discipleship Counselor Training Class. Um, the reason we call it Discipleship Counselor Training Class, uh, and some people call it Discipleship Class for short, and that's fine. I have no problem with you calling it Discipleship Class for short, but we've held on to that title, Discipleship Counselor Training Class, because these classes are taught from the perspective of training you to be a disciple maker, okay? Jesus commissioned His followers, His disciples, to go make disciples, right? Uh, Not just go preach the gospel so that somebody can be saved, but go and make disciples, He said, of all peoples or of all nations. And so every person in this room has been called by God, has been commissioned by our Lord and Savior, our Commander-in-Chief, to go make disciples. Now what you're going to learn early in these classes is that it takes one to make one. In other words, you've got to be a disciple yourself in order to make disciples of other people. Alright? So it takes a disciple to make a disciple. It takes one to make one. And so, but again, I, I, my prayer for you, uh, my prayer for you is that these classes will help you on a personal level. That they will benefit you on a personal level, that they will strengthen you in faith, that they will, they will, they will help you uh, work through and deal with some unresolved issues in your own life personally, okay? And that is just a, a fringe benefit, if you will, um, of what we're going to be doing together for the next uh, 36 you know, weeks uh, together here in this room. But hear me again, please. These classes are taught from the perspective of equipping you to serve 
in the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's why we say discipleship counselor training class. They're taught from that position or that perspective. It's not just a self-help class, okay? But it is more geared to equipping you to go into that next level. I see, I'm probably going to say that a few times, right? Because everybody's got those shirts on. It's reminding me of that. Um, to take that next step up in your purpose, calling, and destiny. All right? Now, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and this is what he says. He's talking about some of the things that he's dealing with in his personal life, some of the things that he's had to deal with in, in the ministry that he has participated in. And he says this, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, from time to time, I'll ask you to underline or highlight things in your Bible. If that makes you uncomfortable and nervous in doing that, then it's okay. Don't do it, all right? But if you underline, highlight things in your Bible, circle things in your Bible, what have you, I want you to somehow highlight or underline the word race and the word ministry. Paul's talking about two things here. He said that I may finish my race. Some translations translate the word race their course. C-O-U-R-S-C. That I may finish my course with joy and the ministry. And the ministry. So again, what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in his own life is his daily walk with the Lord, his personal relationship with Jesus, how he has cultivated that, how he has developed that, how he has walked with the Lord and how he continues to walk and run that course, that race. But then he talks about something else here. He's also talking about not just finishing the course, not just finishing the race, his personal walk, individual walk with the Lord, but he's now also talking about the ministry. The ministry. And what we see here is all effective ministry springs forth from a personal relationship and walk with Jesus. In other words, every person in this room is called in some way to do something for your Creator. You're here for a purpose. I don't just mean here in this room for a purpose. Your life exists for a purpose. You are more than the luck of some random genetic draw. You may have been a surprise to your parents, but you were no surprise to God. He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. And everything that God creates, He creates with a purpose in mind. So you have a ministry. Your ministry may not be exactly like my ministry. Your ministry may not be exactly like Jason or Michael's ministry. But every person in this room has a ministry that we are to be effective and fruitful in. Now some of the things that you will hear me say, for those of you that have heard me teach, I often refer to what I call the sweet spot of life. Amen? Do you understand what I mean when I say the sweet spot of something? The sweet spot, it's like, you know, the Goldilocks. You know, it's not too soft, it's not too hard, it's not too hot, it's not too cold. It's that sweet spot of life. And the sweet spot of life is when we are actively engaged in doing what God created us to do on this planet for Him and His glory. That is the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate fulfillment in life, okay? It's why you were created. It's your purpose. Amen. Now, Jesus said something in John the 8th chapter. Stay right there in Acts 20 with me, alright? 
But in John the 8th chapter, the religious leaders were really bearing down on Jesus. And he made a statement. He said this. He said, I know where I came from. I know who I am. And I know where I'm going. Okay? Now, I want you to think about those statements as they would apply to your life. Okay? How much do you know about where you came from? And I'm not just talking about where you were born or where you were raised or the parents uh, uh, that, um, that gave birth to you or adopted you or, or whatever the case may be. I, I'm talking about something much deeper than those kinds of things. In other words, how much do you know about where you really came from? And how much do you know about who you truly are? And how much do you understand about the purpose or the destiny that God established for your existence before you were ever created. Now, again, in light of those things, reckon that's some pretty important information for us to have. Do you realize how many people live their entire lives and die and never know where they came from? Never know who they truly are and never understood their purpose. It's one of the tragedies that happens daily on our planet. Amen. So when we're talking about discipleship, and we're talking about the end product of discipleship, we're certainly talking about ministry. But before we can ever get to the whole ministry aspect of your life and existence, we've got to talk about and, and, and understand your walk with the Lord and your relationship with Him and your relationship to Him. Okay? So Paul said he was working towards finishing two things. His race, his course, the journey, the walk that he had with Jesus, and then an extension of that being his ministry. Jesus taught us something in John the 15th chapter. Matt and I were talking just before class. He was reading John 15 last night or today. I'm not sure exactly when, recently. And, um, and what we see in John 15 is Jesus, is Jesus says that if you abide in Him and His words abide in you, right? This is the secret to fruitfulness in life. This is the secret to producing results in life. Both results in your personal individual life, but then also bearing fruit, fruitfulness, meaningfulness, that will bring honor and glory to your heavenly Father and Creator. Alright? Now, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Praise God. Alright, does anybody feel air conditioning? If somebody, will, if somebody will open this door right here, that, that will help us. As a matter of fact, Brother John, thank you. Swing, that, swing open wide. And then, Brother, if you'll come and open this door over here. Um, and what that will do is that will help circulate the air in this room and, and we got air conditions running wide open but there's just a lot of folks in here. Okay, and so when folks start coming in for church, um, we may have to pull them back too if we're not done quite yet. So, alright, so, amen. Alright, so Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and let's, uh, let's look at verse number 11. It says, and he gave, and he himself, and the he himself here is speaking of Jesus, okay? 
He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Comma, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Comma, and I'm going to stop there. It obviously continues. I'm going to stop right there for a moment, okay? What this passage is talking about is that in the wisdom of God, He has chosen certain people to occupy certain ministry offices. So, when I use that word office or offices, I want you to think in terms of like the office of the President of the United States. Okay? Now, I'm not here to teach you or talk about politics. Um, as a matter of fact, first man to occupy the office of the President of the United States was George Washington. But after he served in that office, he stepped out of that office and someone else came and that's been the way it has continued up until today. So the office would be a position that God established and then He places men and women in those different offices. Okay? So He says that He gave some. Not all. Not everybody's an apostle. Not everybody is a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. These, these are men and women that God has, cho- has chosen to, to, and gifted to function in these five different offices. Alright? Now, throughout the course of this, I'll try not to talk too much about myself, but the Bible says, know them that labor among you. I want you to understand who I am and where I'm coming from. Amen? Not just where I came from like Jesus, but where I'm coming from in in the sense of my heart for you and and why um, we do what we do uh, and, and why we believe this is what we're called to do. Okay? But if you'll notice um, here, he says, and and the last one is pastors and teachers. Now, when, praise God, I knew that I was called to preach, and that's a little vague there, right? Because a lot of folks in these categories preach. I knew that I was called to preach when I was five years old. And I'm not telling you that to pat myself on the back or brag or anything. I'm just telling you that I knew... I knew it before I was born again because when I was born again at a very young age, I, it was a factor in that decision. Okay? Now, one of the ways that I am convinced that I knew that I was called at that, early of an, uh, at that young of an age is because I did not want to do it. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, this is, I did not want to do this. I wanted to be, just whatever it's worth, I wanted to be a medical doctor had no desire to be a pastor, had no desire to be in the ministry. When I walked the aisle on a Sunday night to be born again, in the back of my mind I was thinking one step closer to that preaching gig that I'm not really interested in doing. It was just, it was just blasted into me. Okay. Now, what that simply means is that God has called me to a position of serving people who serve Him. I'm not here to rule over anybody. I'm here to come underneath in a supporting role, in a serving role, to help you 
know where you came from, know who you are, and know where you're going. Now, I don't, again, this is not about bragging. I've never done this this early in the class, but I just feel compelled to do it. I'm going to do it again. So, because I have been given a gift to serve that gift to people, In the Old Testament, they would refer to men who had that gift as a seer. It took me a long time to realize that not everybody sees things that I see. I thought everybody could see it. Okay? Now, what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit has shown me some things, right? That He wants me to show you. It's just that simple. It's not, not complicated. It's just that simple. Okay? Now, the reason that I'm here to show you these things is so that you can become better equipped for the work of the ministry. Now, I will not always give you punctuation every time I read a passage. But if you were paying attention when I read this passage from Ephesians, it says that He Himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, comma, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, comma. Here's one of the great problems that we have in the body of Christ today. Most members of the body of Christ, most born-again people, most people in the church think that ministry is the pastor's job. That ministry is what the evangelist is supposed to do. And that somehow if you do not feel called, gifted, uh, you know, in, in those areas, that somehow ministry is not your responsibility. we got to correct this. This is why the church is not doing the job that the church has been left on planet earth to do. Is because what the Bible teaches us is that those who are in the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, their assignment is to equip everybody else to go and do the work of the ministry. So I'm here on assignment from heaven to help equip you to better do what God puts you on this earth to do. Are you following me? Alright. That's the heart of, of, of these classes. And that's why I get so excited to see so many people who are willing to make a commitment to be equipped to better do what God has put them on this earth to do. Okay? Now, in the course then of this equipping... We're going, to, we're going to have to go back and look at a lot of things that are going to pertain to you as an individual that are going to better help you understand the way God created you as an individual. But all of that is designed to lead you deeper and deeper and further and further into the realization of exactly who you are in Christ and what that now means as far as your ability to do what God has created you to do. Now, 
let's make sure that we understand something, okay? And you're going to hear me say this early, and you're going to hear me say this often, right? There's a lot of confusion in the church today about the subject of discipleship. And I'm sure there's probably folks in this room who have attended some type of discipleship class or some type of discipleship program, okay, in the past. A lot of churches call discipleship what is really an orientation into either their church or their denomination or an orientation into what they do and believe and practice as a church. Some churches call these new converts class. Anybody ever heard of that expression? A new converts class? In other words, somebody gets born again or somebody comes new into the church and we want you to go to a new converts class so that you can learn about the importance of church attendance, the importance of Bible study, the importance of tithing, the importance of praying, the importance of tithing, the importance of water baptism, the importance of tithing. The... <laughs> you, you, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, it, so these things are, are emphasized, right? And so a lot of times if somebody goes through a 6, 8, 12 week class on a Sunday morning, you know, or some type of track or some type of growth track, that we think, okay, that's discipleship. No, 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 please, that's, that's important. And that could certainly be, um, you know, elements or parts of discipleship, but discipleship is something much bigger than that, okay? Now, I'm going to try to, and that's what we're going to do in this first section of our time together, is we're going to really roll up our sleeves and, and help, you know, with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's help, really understand what discipleship really, really is. Not from man's opinion, not from a denominational perspective, not even from my opinion, but from what the Word of God has to say on the subject. Okay? Now, in the course then of helping you better understand what discipleship is, my favorite, my favorite definition of discipleship is this one, okay? And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you or encourage you to write this down, okay? Praise God. Discipleship is finding out, discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. I will say it again and I will say it again after that. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now, there's other things that are very important about discipleship. But I want to give you this definition and this understanding first because I want it to slant or become the filter through which all other discipleship discussion and understanding passes. Okay? Sometimes people come... I'm going to say the definition again, okay? Sometimes people come to a class like this in hopes of becoming something that they were not before. Okay? Discipleship 
is not about becoming something that you are not. Okay? Discipleship is about discovering who you are, who you became, the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Alright? So this is not about becoming, it's about discovering. Now, from time to time, I'll, I'll get on a fine line and walk it, and I'll do it strategically, okay? It's because I'm wanting you to shift away from trying to do something to become something that you're not, to taking a deep breath and realizing that the day you were born again, you became something through that experience. You became a new creation through that experience. You became something through that experience that you could never make of yourself. God transformed you in an instant, in that moment in time, and you became something at the deepest level of your being that you could never become any other way. And discipleship is about finding out what's true about you now because of your salvation experience. Now here's the problem that a lot of people have. They know more about the person they were before they were born again than the person they became the moment they were born again. And because we still tend to think more like the person we were than the person we became, we still tend to live like the person we were than the person we became. So the more you understand about who you are in Christ, the more the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, and the more you begin to believe that you are free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The more you begin to believe that I am right before God in the eyes of God because Jesus gave me that as a gift and that's who I became. The more you begin to understand who you truly are in Christ Jesus, the more your thoughts and thinking line up with that truth and that reality, the more you begin to live that out and walk that out in your daily life. So this is a process of discovery. Discipleship is a process, but it is more about discovery than it is becoming. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Alright. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You get anything out of this so far? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Praise God. Now, I know that this goes without saying, but it's too important for it to go without saying. Right? Should you have um, been led here tonight, or came here tonight because you know somebody invited you, or or whatever, and and maybe if you're you know watching through the the, the live stream tonight, and you've never been born again, well, amen. Then this this is where your journey needs to begin, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and that God has raised Him from the dead, Amen, then you, know, you will receive the salvation, this gift of salvation. Jesus has made it easy. He's made it real, real easy, okay, for someone to be saved, for someone to be born again. Are you with me? Okay. So, I'm speaking to people who are born again. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? In other words... Like, the book of Romans is written to the church at Rome. It's, it's written to people who've already been saved. Amen? And so, I'm coming to you from that position, from that perspective. Obviously, if you've never become a new creation in Christ Jesus, 
then discovering who you became is a moot point, right? You've got, you've got to become the new creation first. But it wasn't your thinking that was born again. It wasn't your emotions that were born again. It wasn't your physical body that was born again. It was your spirit that was born again. And it's a completed work. Your soul, the part of you that, that thinks and feels and chooses, the Holy Spirit is, is working on all of us at that level of our being right now. Amen. And then, of course, a lot of times our physical body and, and the lust of the flesh and those behaviors are what a lot of people are looking for help in. I certainly uh, can use all the help I can get in that area in my own life. But we've got to recognize that there's things deeper inside of us that are involved and need to be understood so they can be addressed. Alright, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And um, let's begin at verse number 24. He says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, the Apostle Paul is using what was a common thing in his day, and it's a common thing in our day. Something that people in his day could relate to, and certainly something that people in our day can relate to as well. He's using the example of an elite athlete and the commitment that that man or woman makes to excelling in their area of competition. He's talking about the commitment of an elite athlete. Not, not somebody that plays pickup basketball game you know, every couple of months. We're talking about the, the level that, uh, you know, someone competing on the highest level and the un- common commitment that those people make in order to win, in order to go after excellence in their field of competition. Right? And in the middle of that, Paul says at the end of verse 25 that they do it to obtain a perishable crown. Now, of course, in their day, it was a, 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 some green leaves that were woven together that was put on the head of the victor. There were other benefits. There were other, you know, uh, perks, what have you. Uh, in, in some cases, amongst the most elite athletes, there was wealth involved in these things, just like there is in, in our world today. But he's pointing out this discrepancy between those who have made such a tremendous commitment for something that really at the end of the day is no big deal and yet so many people in the body of Christ have such a lax commitment towards their race and towards their destiny and towards what God has for them. Are you hearing me now? Okay? So some of you heard me do this before and I try to 
Amen. I try not to be too hard here, but, but listen to me, please. Here's one way we can connect with this. I'm, I'm sure, and I, don't misunderstand me, I'm thankful for every person that's here, but I'm sure some of you may even know of folks who said something to the effect of a two-hour class. Are you kidding me? What in the world? Why would you ever go to a two-hour class? You, you, you follow what I'm saying? In other words, it, it just seems so unreasonable. It just seems so illogical. It just seems like so unnecessary to some people, right? Yet, I guarantee you some of those same people that would have that kind of attitude towards you sitting in a two-hour class to be better equipped for the destiny for which you were created thought it nothing, thought nothing of staying up 24, 48, 72 hours in a row chasing the things of this world. Right? Right? I mean, we would, we would go pawn the title of our car just to keep the party going five more hours, right? <laughs> just to keep the party going a little while longer. In other words, the, the commitment that we would make for something that would be, at the end of the day, a waste, if it was anything. But then we come into the kingdom... And two services on a Sunday is too much to ask. Are you, are you seeing what Paul's addressing here? Now there's a lot that I'm going to tell you tonight about discipleship. The next thing I'm going to tell you though is this. If discipleship is anything, discipleship is a commitment. It's more than a commitment, but it's a commitment. Okay? Let me say it another way. If you're not willing to make the commitment that is necessary to be a disciple, then you will disqualify yourself from being one. Okay? So, when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about a commitment that you make as an individual. Committing yourself to a process of discovering and being equipped to live the life and fulfill the destiny for which God created you. Okay? Now, there's one other thing I want to point out here. And, well, I think you probably got this already. Paul said he runs his race not with uncertainty. Not with uncertainty. We, in other words, we're timid when we don't know or we're not sure. You understand what I mean by that? And, and, the, and the enemy of your soul exploits that uncertainty. Let me, let me, let me, let's go back to Jesus in John the 8th chapter. I know where I came from, I know who I am, and I know where I'm going. That's a man who can run his race and fulfill his destiny with confidence. If you don't know where you came from, if you don't know who you are, and if you're not sure where you're going you're going to live a very timid and even intimidated life. Paul said, I run not with uncertainty. And he said, I fight, but not as one who beats the air. Anybody ever seen a boxer shadow box? There's just somebody who's just, I mean, they're like fighting like crazy. I mean, they haven't worked themselves up into a lather, shadow boxing, right? But there's no opponent. Paul said, I fight and I'm not just swinging at the air. 
He's being effective, right? Last thing, he says, he uses this phrase in the New King James Version. And by the way, I, I usually mention this some, some, most all the verses I will read to you will be from the New King James. That doesn't mean you have to have a New King James. I'm just saying, that's where we usually come from on all this, okay? So if the New King James Version says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Temperate in all things. That word, um, temper, temperate, Right? Somebody says, I lost my temper. Which means what? They lost control of their anger. I lost my temper. Temperate in all things. This means disciplined. Okay? Disciplined. I'm sure some of you already got it. Maybe all of you already got it. But if you write the word disciple and you write the word discipline under it, they pretty much follow the same letters, right? Until you get right to the end. You get right to the end. So discipleship is about an uncommon commitment. Temperate in all things means that they're disciplined in all things. I don't know if you've ever heard like Tom Brady's one of the more elite athletes in in our culture today. And he is really astounding a lot of people because of of the, the health and the longevity that he's had playing at a, at a really high and effective level. If you're, if you're uh, an NFL fan, you know, we, we saw Brett Favre do that. We saw Peyton Manning do that. But if we're going to be really honest, and I respect both those men, the last couple of seasons that they were out there, they, they were not as effective. You, you follow what I'm saying? Part of that's just the age, the toll, all that, that these things are taking on their body. Tom Brady almost seems to be exempt from all that. But here, if you understand... He doesn't just train during the season. He is temperate in all things. He, like there's certain things he will not eat. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? In other words, because he wants to maintain that, that discipline. Temperate in all things. Discipline, listen to this now. Keeping or held within limits. Keeping or held within limits. That's what this phrase temperate in all things means. I feel some of you kind of drifting away. It's like, we're talking about discipline. I didn't come here to talk about discipline. No, no, come on now. Temperate in all things. Discipline, keeping or held within limits. An elite athlete who makes an uncommon commitment puts restrictions or limits on their life, their lifestyle, their diet, their routine, Right? All for the purpose of developing the gift. Listen, somebody that can't even wrap their hand around a peewee football, they could do everything, eat everything, do everything that Tom Brady does and never function on the level that he functions on. Because they don't have the gift. They don't have the talent. It's, it's not in them. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Some of you know my nephew Will. He played the guitar at the foundry for a lot of years. Okay? What you may not know about Will is this. He picked up a guitar and could play it. It's a gift. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? It's a gift. Now, I've also watched him practice until his, practice until his fingers bled. But it's a gift. Are you, are you, so there's a, in other words, again, it's not about becoming something you're not. It's about discovering who you are. It's, it's what God has already placed in you that you don't even know is there. Right? To, to bring that and to develop that and cultivate that gift. So, when we talk about keeping her held within limits, we had a friend who, 
he, he lived down the street from us. You could, you could look in his front glass. They, had, they would open the door, and the, the, the storm door was closed. It was glass, and the piano was just on the other side. We could see him in there practicing while we were out riding our bikes and skateboards. Okay? It's because when he was young, his mom required it of him, but when he got older, he continued to put limits upon himself that he was going to practice a certain amount of time each day in order to develop a gift that God gave him to play the piano in order to operate at a higher and higher level of effectiveness in what God gifted him to do and, 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 and to, to be and to accomplish. Are you, following, are you following what I'm saying here? Some of you looking, come on back in, alright? So when he's talking about temperate in all things, he's talking about you, me, subjecting ourselves to certain schedules, to certain routines, because we want to operate and live at that highest level of effectiveness and fruitfulness and meaningfulness that God has created us for. You can't do anything you want to do and be a disciple. You can't live any way you want to live and be a disciple. It, 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 it's, that's not what this is about. It's about a commitment. It's about, uh, you know, listen, praise God. Let's make sure we get something really clear, okay? If, if, if you're just here because you're trying to get to heaven one day, amen, hang around, but that's, we, amen, we're not in Kansas anymore, all right? That's not where we're coming from right here. Okay, this, this isn't about getting you into heaven one day. If you're not born again, let's get that situated, all right? Are you understand what I'm saying? This is about getting heaven into you and then heaven into the earth through you. This is about living a life on this earth that honors the God in heaven who created you and that's taking full advantage and making full use of everything that He put in you as an individual to bring that forth and to develop that. You could be somewhere asleep right now. You could be somewhere watching TV right now. You, you could be somewhere eating cream-filled donuts right now. But you have subjected yourself to this class, right? I'm taking my hat off. You've made a commitment to this class, right? Because you want to hear and to learn and to grow. Are you, are you, are you, that's what he's talking about. Okay. Now, discipleship is about a lot of things, but if it is about anything, it is about commitment. Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Glory to God. John chapter 2. Amen. Brother Bill, we can find you a seat, man, if you want to come in here. We got one. There's a seat right here. Brother, it's more comfortable if you'd rather have that one. There's one here. All right. Amen. Praise God. All right. I'm not sure if the folks watching on. live stream can read this or not. So that word is believer, okay? Or if you in the back, I don't know if you can see it in the back, but that word's believer. The next word I'm writing up here is the word follower, okay? The third word I'm writing is the word disciple. And the fourth word is the word Christian, okay? Believer. And I put the little quotation marks, little dittos, if you will, 
uh, around believer, and I'll explain that in just a moment as to why that one has that written there. Okay? Now, again, believer, follower, disciple, Christian. Believer, follower, disciple, Christian. I would dare say a lot, if not most people in the body of Christ today look at these four words as all basically meaning the same thing. In other words, you as a Christian may introduce yourself or or tell somebody, hey, I'm a Christian. You may say, I'm a believer. You may say, I'm a follower. And, you know, I mean, after you learn some stuff about it, I don't... You know, I don't really like going, I'm a disciple, you know, but you should start saying that, amen, you know, okay, all right. But we at least, you know, from our basic understanding of these words, we tend to think that we can use them interchangeably to all communicate the same message, and that's just simply not the case. That's simply not the case, all right? And I'm going to explain what each one of these means from Scripture, and then we're going to see what is the main thing that distinguishes the difference in each of these categories, okay? Now, let me uh, kind of set the stage for you. In John uh, chapter 2, Jesus has performed His first miracle. This was the beginning of His earthly ministry. Because He was born under the law, the Bible says that, that He was born of Mary, born under the law when the fullness of time had come. And because he was born under the law, that prevented him from having a public ministry until he was 30 years old. 30 years old. Okay, that's very important. Because there's all these rumors and ideas that Jesus as a little kid's healing birds that are broken wings. Never happened. Okay? Never happened. His first miracle was at the wedding feast in Cana And it only happened after He was baptized in water and then baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon Him and empowered Him. And it says of this miracle that Jesus manifested forth His glory at the wedding there in Cana. This beginning of miracles, Jesus in Cana of Galilee manifested His glory, manifested forth His glory, the King James Version, and His disciples believed in Him. That word manifested... I, I am not making this up. Look it up later. Don't look it up now. Look it up later. It literally means to open a can. It literally means to take off the lid. And so the glory that was in Jesus was first released at the wedding feast in Cana. He performed this first miracle. From here, He goes and literally cleans house in the temple where people were ripping off God's people, people that would come with sincere hearts to worship, and they were exchanging money, currency, like if you went to another country and you had to exchange dollars for, for uh, money in another country, except for they were, they were making people exchange their money and they were taking advantage of them financially. Um, the priests would have to approve a sacrifice before it could be offered. And they were telling people that their sacrifices were, uh, were denied, they weren't fit to be offered. And then, but for $39.95, we've got one right here that is. They were just ripping people off. And Jesus went in there, and He cleaned house. I mean, He cleaned house. Okay? Now, what we see after this is that people are being attracted to Jesus. So verse 23, I said 24, 23, 
Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Many believed, verse, John chapter 2, verse 23, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. All right, now, let's talk about this word believer. Obviously, different words can be used to mean different things. One of the ways that we see this word used in the scripture, this word believer, is talking about someone who basically gave Jesus credit for doing something they've never seen anybody else do. They gave Him credit or, or acknowledged that He was an awesome guy. He did some amazing things. They were impressed by Him. And because they were impressed by Him, they were drawn to Him. You could almost think of them as like fans. They were fans of Jesus. They, they, they just thought He was the greatest thing ever. Alright? Now, this group of people... Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment, okay? This, this, this group of people is attracted to Him, man. Here's some folks that, that admire Him. Here's some folks that, that like wanting His autograph. I mean, I'm being silly. It doesn't say that, but I put that part in there. But yeah, they're like admirers. They're like fond, and, and, and they're ready to jump on board... And yet the Bible says that Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men. He didn't need anybody to tell Him because He knew what was, notice, in them. He knew what was in them. Right? Now, I know this may... I'm going to explain this, but just... Amen. Let's get the first part first. What this means is that Jesus did not make a commitment to them because He knew in their hearts that they were not really committed to Him. Anybody that was ever committed to Jesus, Jesus was committed to. It didn't matter who they were, where they were from, where they came from, what kind of life they'd lived up into that moment. So the fact that Jesus did not make a commitment to them because He knew what was in them tells me that Jesus knew the initial wave of excitement would not last. It would not be sustained. In other words, they would, they would be excited, but then the least little issue, the least little thing that they didn't understand, the least little criticism, the least little correction. Listen, if you look at Jesus, if you read about Jesus' relationship with his disciples, he corrected them, and they were thankful for it. We live in a different world today, man. We live in a world today. Let me tell you, as a pastor, if I can find somebody who will receive correction, it almost makes me get in the floor and cry. Because that has become the unicorn in the body of Christ today. If you try to correct somebody who needs to be corrected, they're just going to get them another pastor real fast. Alright? If you try to... If, you follow what I'm saying? Amen. So, Jesus knew that these folks are going to be sensitive and, 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 and at least time it got a little too hot or a little too cold or the bed wasn't quite as comfortable or whatever, that they were going to hightail it back to wherever they came from. 
And so, He did not commit Himself to them. But now, here is the addendum that I want to connect to this. Because I don't want you to get the wrong impression that you know, you're know you going, well, man, I'm not sure I'm ready to commit myself to this either, Pastor Mark, so does that mean Jesus is not committed to me? No, no, listen to me. Things aren't now as they were then. In those days, Jesus' clock was ticking. He had a three-year window to do what He was on this earth to do. So He did not commit Himself to these folks because He knew that their commitment level for Him was not one that would measure up to a disciple's level. Don't think that He's going to respond to you that way now because it's not His clock that's ticking now. It's yours and mine. He's not on the clock anymore. Me and you are on the clock. So, if you're not ready to make the necessary commitment to be a disciple, He's just going to keep loving you. He's just going to keep praying for you. He's just going to keep sending people into your life to share good things with you. He's going to keep you know, helping you and, 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 and doing whatever He can to work with whatever commitment level you're willing to give to Him at this moment in your life. Okay, But again, your life is the one that's passing by. Your life is the one that's, that's unfolding now. Amen. And things that uh, you know are potentially being missed out on. You got that? Now, the one thing that I want to point out to you though is that the Bible says that these people believed in him. And you think, well, my goodness, is is that not enough? Well, remember, the book of James tells us that that the demons believe in Jesus. Are you, you know, this you know. If, if you don't believe there was a person named Jesus who lived on planet earth, man, you, God help you. Now that doesn't mean you believe He was the only begotten Son of God. That doesn't mean that you believe He was deity. But He split time in half for crying out loud. Time counted up to His birth and started over again after He got here, right? A.D. doesn't mean after death. It's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. This is 2018 because we B.C. before Christ and then we started over when He got here. Are you, are you, amen. So this idea that there was nobody named Jesus, Jesus is real, dude. I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Alright? So, it's not just that you believe in Him or believe that He existed, it's what do you believe about Him? See, that's the difference there. That's the difference. In, in, um, oh, we'll get there in a minute. Alright, praise God. Now, in John the 6th chapter, let's turn over there. And um, let's just, praise God, let's go to, um, let's go to verse 60, praise God, John chapter 6, verse 60, okay, all right, well, so in case y'all are wondering, my Lid wasn't on the bottle of water there, so we got a little water spillage there. I did not drool while you were looking. Okay, that's water. All right. John chapter 6. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this saying, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. 
But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were um, who did not believe and who would betray Him. And He said, that, remember, He knew what was in them. And He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one uh, can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him by My Father. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him, followed Him no more. Now, in this particular passage, we've got the word believe, we've got the word disciple, and the word walk here in some translations is, is translated followed Him. We, we see all of them being used, but with one really sad ending. That is, on this day, many became offended and they turned their backs and walked away. They did not follow through. They did not stay the course. They did not hang in there to continue to learn and grow uh, from what Jesus uh, was you know, teaching and revealing to them. Are you seeing this? Now, if I could just real quick, I'm not going to try to break all this down. But on this particular day, Jesus had taught this lesson about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And this obviously disturbed a lot of people because they did not understand what He was talking about. And they are like, man, you know, people told us about Him. People told us He was a nut. People told us that we should, you know. But So, they hear something that they don't understand they become offended at it. It's, it's a hard saying. Hard saying. Listen to me now. We are going to say some hard things in our time together. Are you hearing me? I'm not apologizing for that. We're going to speak the truth in love, but we're going to say some hard things. We got to hear the hard things. The Bible says again in the last days, in the last days, people will seek out preachers and teachers who simply tell them what they want to hear. Right? And that people will not, are you ready for this? They will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure sound doctrine. Now, we've already established that if discipleship is about anything, it's about a commitment. And a commitment is going to require us to endure some things. Are you following what I'm saying here? I wish that there was some way that in about 30 minutes, I could just impart to you, download into you, what is about 150 pages of notes teaching, and we're not even going to thoroughly cover all of it because we don't have enough time even to cover it all. I wish there was just some way that I could just download all of that into you. To give you some idea, we're on page 2. Halfway down page 2. Are you, honest? Are you following what I'm saying? So if there's some way that I could just download it all into you and then let's go eat pizza. And, but see, that's not how God has set this up it's not how these things work. 
It's about planting and watering and growing and God giving the increase. And it's about a commitment. And it's about endurance. And if you're ever going to have sound doctrine in your life that will enable you to run the race before you with certainty and fulfill your destiny with courage and boldness, you're going to have to have sound doctrine built into your life. And if you're ever going to have sound doctrine built into your life, it's going to require some endurance on your part and on mine. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Amen. And so we're going to pace ourselves. This is year 14 of us doing this. And probably for the first nine years, I would try to give everybody as much as I ever possibly could in the first class. And everybody would go out of here going, what in the world did he just say? Right? So we're pacing ourselves. We're pacing ourselves. And if we're doing anything tonight, we're laying a foundation of understanding that we can then start to build some things on. Now, let me remind you, praise God, let me remind you that if you know anything about construction, probably the least appealing part of the entire construction process is laying the foundation. Right? All that digging, all that pouring, that concrete, and the whole thing's going, all that money, and the whole thing's going to be buried. Nobody will ever be able to see it, right? When it really starts getting fun is you start framing, you start putting in the finishes, putting in the cabinets, right? All that, see, hardwood floor and all that stuff, right? But if you don't get the foundation right, there's nothing in place to support all those other goodies, okay? We're going to get to the goodies, I promise you, man. Amen. Uh, David was talking about he was here for the last eight classes last year. And man, we was in the goodies, right? And we're going to get to some good stuff. We're going to get to some finishes. But we've got to get a foundation of understanding in place or there will be nothing in your life for us to set those things on. There will be no context for you to be able to take that ball and run with it in a meaningful way in your own life. Okay? So, it requires a commitment. The main thing I'm wanting to point out to you here is that these folks made a different commitment than those who just qualified as believers, who gave Jesus credit for doing something they'd never seen anybody else do. These people actually got up out of their houses and traveled to wherever Jesus was teaching and actually attended one of His sermons, one of His services. Are you following what I'm saying? Praise God. In other words, they put forth a greater level of effort to actually go and experience Him personally, face to face. Remember that first group witnessed a miracle that amazed them and now all of a sudden it's instant belief. Okay? They're like, it's the wow factor. Okay? All right. Now, these folks were not just wowed. They were the show me more, tell me more folks, right? So they go to learn and to hear. Some of these folks obviously had made more than a one-time commitment to come and hear and learn from Jesus. And as He began to tell them more and more and explain to them more and more and reveal to them more and more, notice that He is... Praise God. I, I use this as an example. 
Um, if, if you've ever heard somebody tune a guitar, okay, and as they tighten that string, the pitch of that string changes, right? Ding, 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 right? Yeah, amen, okay? Yes? Yes? Okay. And so, Jesus is trying to break the chains off of people, and it's the truth that breaks those chains. The truth is what sets a man or a woman free. So, Jesus is trying to set them free, and the more they come to hear Him, the stronger the truth He's giving to them. He's putting more and more truth out there for them. But see, here's, here's the fine line. Here's the, here's the balance. And some of you have already experienced this. Some of you are already very capable ministers. All right, you, you, You've got to be led by the Spirit because if you give somebody too much truth too quick, you'll break the string and not the chain. The, you'll turn them off, right? Who's he think he is judging me? He don't know nothing about me. Blah, blah, right? And all of a sudden, you, you've lost him, right? So Jesus is gradually turning up the heat. He's gradually increasing it, right? Until He comes to this moment and He says, look, let's just go ahead and get right to it, okay? Unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, you can be no part of Me. See, He's not just interested in a bunch of fans. Jesus is not just interested in a bunch of people who want His autograph. Jesus is not just interested in a, in a following. He came to make disciples. How many times would Jesus perform a miracle and He would say, don't tell anybody? And we thought, well, He's using reverse psychology. No! He didn't come to see if He could get 10 million people in one setting at one time so that He could pat Himself on the back for being such a, a, a magnetic leader, a charismatic leader. Jesus came to this earth to make disciples. Amen! And He was constantly trying to balance the needs of thousands of people with spending enough time with His disciples to pour into Himself, to pour Himself into them rather. Are you following what I'm saying? So it, the crowds became actually, as much as Jesus loved them and wanted to help them, they actually became counterproductive to His real mission. Oh, did you get any of that? Okay, all right. So they, they're, they're followers, right? But the minute it gets a little too hard, the minute it gets a little too long, the minute it gets a little you know, uh, too much, they're out of there, right? Now, turn with me to John the 8th chapter. You could almost say that if you were charting the, the commitment of these people who left Jesus on that particular day, you could almost say that their commitment level spiked and then started dropping off, right? You, see, you, you follow what I mean by spike? In other words, they started out interested, they started out you know, amazed, then they went to learning, then they went to following, then they were coming more frequently to listen to Him, and, and then all of a sudden that commitment level spiked and they said, enough of this, and they turned around and left. Now, li listen to me please, okay? 
the interesting thing about this is that after that large group of people left Jesus to follow Him no more, Jesus looks at His inner circle of twelve and He says to them, He asks them this question, are you going to leave Me also? Are you going to walk away also? And Peter says this, where else would we go? You have the words of life. Alright? Where else would we go? You have the words of life. Now, the amazing thing here, please get this. If you've missed the last little bit, please get this, okay? The amazing thing here is this. The twelve disciples did not understand the sermon either. The twelve disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about when He was talking about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. But I want you to notice their commitment. I want you to notice their attitude. Their attitude was this. Are you ready? have no idea what you're saying, Jesus, but we know it's right. We have no idea what you meant by that, but we know that when you speak, something comes alive on the inside of us. We know that you have truth and wisdom that we have looked for our whole lives and have not been able to find anywhere else in anybody else. All the books we've read, all the uh, Pharisees we've listened to, all the things that we've studied, we know that you have answers that cannot be found anywhere else. And although I don't understand those answers right now, I'm grabbing hold of you and I'm not going to turn loose of you until I receive and understand those answers. That's the attitude of a disciple. That's the commitment of a disciple. It doesn't mean that you understand everything. It doesn't mean, you know, people say, you know, people come to this class sometimes, come time or two, and they're going, you know, he's talking over my head. I'm supposed to be talking over your head. I mean, not, I, I, I don't mean that like, in other words, if, if, if I'm just throwing you slow pitches, are you, are you understanding? This isn't T ball. In other words, that's the idea. Is you know that we're we're being stretched, that that we're we're learning that that you know my goodness I've never sat in two hour class in my whole lifetime, right? Well, welcome, amen. We're here, right? Are you, you follow what I'm saying? And that dynamic is a huge part of this. You know, we think well, you know, if I don't understand everything he's saying, I'm wasting my time. No, you're not. No, you're not. But here's the other thing too. What you don't realize is that the Holy Spirit's come alongside us and even things you don't think you understand, He's going to help you understand them. And sometimes you just keep chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping until a whole thing. And then it's like, oh, you know, it's like there it is, right? All right, John chapter 8, verse number 30. Oh, all right, so... A lot's going on here. Um, amen. Um, thank you, Jesus. Basically what's happened is the religious establishment, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were trying to bully Him. They were, they were bullying this woman that they caught in the act of sin. And they were trying to use her to embarrass Jesus. And Jesus, because again, He knew who He was. He knew where He came from. He knew where He was going. He wasn't intimidated by these, by these religious leaders. He stood up to them. 
And there were people who witnessed Him do that. And here comes this word again, verse 30. And as He spoke these words, many believed in Him. Okay? Now, see, we hear this and we just think they all got saved. No, that's not what this means. It means that they gave Him credit for doing something and recognition for doing something they'd never seen anybody else do. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, verse 31, if, if, if's a big word, right? It's two letters, but it's a big word. If. If. So Jesus just put the ball in their court. He just put the ball in my court. He just put the ball in your court. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Alright, now let's think about what he just said here. Jesus saw a crack in the door. He inspired some interest. He stirred up some curiosity. He had a, the attention of a group of people. And Jesus looks at them and says, if you will take what you are experiencing right now and make a commitment to abide in My Word, you will be My disciples indeed. And if you will make a commitment to abide in My Word, this will make you My disciple. And as a disciple, you will know the truth and that truth will make you free. I make no apologies for this, and I'm not trying to like come on too fast, too strong, all right? But I'll just go ahead and tell you straight up, all right? I am a born again, spirit filled pastor. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I've had the opportunity and been graced by the Holy Spirit to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I pray in tongues, um, unknown tongues, um, a great deal. Uh, throughout the day, okay? Just please hear me. I, I believe in and have experienced uh, casting demons out of people. I'm not trying to wig you out. You know, some folks are curious about that kind of stuff. Is that for today? It absolutely is for today. Amen. Okay? So I believe all of that. Don't think I don't, okay? And I'm telling you that now because I also want you to know that I believe in deliverance. I, be, I believe. In, in, um, in, in, in the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver us uh, from situations and, and addictions and, and bondages and things of that nature in our lives. I absolutely, positively believe in all of that. So, I don't want you to ever think that I don't. It's things that we believe in and practice here at Heritage. It's things that we believe in and practice other places when we minister there. Okay, And so, that's who we are. If, 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 if you're not sure about some of that stuff, you know, don't take off running yet. Just hang around a little bit. Let's learn some more about it. Okay? But please hear me. Please hear me. Jesus just spelled out a progression. He just spelled out to a group of people that He saw a, an opening in their heart, an opening in their life, life's door because they, they, He had their interest and they were curious communicated by believed Him, believed in Him. He said, look, 
if, if you'll just continue in my word, then that continu- continuing my word will cause you to be my disciple indeed. That word indeed there, anytime Jesus uses the word indeed, he's, I, I sometimes substitute sure enough. For real. That's how we would say it. In other words, you'll truly be for real, indeed, absolutely, you will be my disciple. And as my disciple, you will know the truth in such a way as that that truth will make you free. It will lead you to freedom. Now, a lot of people quit reading right here because we think, well, that's happy ending. That's good stuff, right? If we keep reading, you're going to see that this thing turned out a lot different than a lot of people realize, okay? They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now let's stop here for a moment, okay? Look at me for a moment. Anytime you hear somebody reminding Jesus that they're Abraham's descendants, you can almost without exception write in the margin of your Bible the word entitlement. Entitlement. Because they were Jewish men and women, descendants of Abraham, they had an attitude of entitlement. So when Jesus suggested that continuing in His Word would lead them into true discipleship, and true discipleship would lead them into true freedom, They became not inspired by that, but again, just like the bunch in John 6, they became offended. Who in the world do you think you are, Jesus, to suggest that we need to be set free from something? Do you not know who I am? Do you not know who we are? Do you not know that I am the descendant of Abraham and that I have never been in bondage to anyone? Somebody said denial is not a river in Egypt, right? They're in bondage to the Romans right now. Can somebody say Syria? Can somebody say Babylon? Their whole history has been in and out of every kind of enslavement that your mind can conceive. And yet, their attitude is, because we're descendants of Abraham, we've never been enslaved to anybody or to anything, and I don't even know who you think you are coming up in here suggesting that we have a problem that we need to be set free from. So much for believing, huh? So much for following, huh? So much for disciples, huh? Jesus very calmly says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now Jesus just went somewhere that He hadn't gone yet in His earthly ministry. Because He didn't just come to make us free. He came to make us sons. He didn't just come to get us out of trouble. He came to make us sons and daughters of God. He didn't come to just get us out of the pig pen. He came to bring us back into His Father's house with Him. Do you see the difference there? So, Jesus says, well, you say you're not enslaved, but if, 
If you can't control your sin, that makes you the slave of sin. Slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Alright, let's try to finish this last section up. You do realize it's 628, right? We've been here an hour and a half already. Alright, it just goes by fast, right? Somebody said, no, Pastor, I thought we'd been here four hours. No, hour and a half already. Okay, alright. I'll tell you what, let's do this. One last verse here. Luke 14. Luke 14. Boy, I hope we can finish this part. I don't know, we'll try. Luke 14. Are you getting anything out of this? This making sense to you? All right, I hope it's stirring up some commitment juice in you. Praise God. All right. Well, um, uh, that's a good question, brother. I had to, I had to look at that one. That's, that is a good question. Amen. Amen. Of course, we know that early on Peter had said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, amen. I'm not sure if that's, that's the first one or not. But certainly, it's an important one. Absolutely. Alright, Luke chapter 14, verse 27. I tried to do all the ones in John since it would be easy on you since we were there. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Um, Jesus says this, And whoever, and whoever, does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 27, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. One more time, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. If you underline things in your Bible, I want you to underline, bear his cross. Okay? Bear his cross. And the and the H here is lowercase. So if this is speaking to you personally, or if the way you're to receive this personally is he's talking about your cross as you know distinct from the cross that Jesus bore. So Jesus is saying to me, Mark, Mark, if you refuse to bear your cross and come after me, then you cannot be my disciple. Let's say it another way, okay? If you are willing to take up and bear your cross and come after Jesus, then you can be His disciple. In other words, the choice is yours. The choice is mine. Now, this idea of bearing your cross, bearing my cross, there's a whole lot of confusion right here, and I want us to clear it up tonight quickly, but once and for all. When Jesus says for you to bear your cross and come after Him in order to be His disciple, He's not saying for you to bear what He's already bore for you on His cross. His cross is one thing, your cross to bear is another. And a lot of times we get those things confused. So for instance, the consequences of your sin, that is not your cross to bear. Jesus bore on His cross your sin and the consequences of your sin. So that you could go free from your sin and free from the consequences of your sin. So many times I hear people say, well, you know, I did this when I was younger and I made this bad decision and I went down this path and now this uh, issue in my body is just my cross to bear. 
Well, if that's your cross to bear, why in the world did Jesus allow them to beat Him until organs hung out of His body so that your body could be healed from every kind of sickness and disease under heaven? Right? I hear people say, you know, have a wayward son or daughter. They'll say, well, you know, it's just my cross to bear. I I sowed my wild oats when I was a kid and now all that's coming home to roost and, and it's just my cross to bear. Wrong. That is not your cross to bear. Let's get it established once and for all. Your cross to bear is your responsibility what you must do in order to fulfill the purpose and destiny for which God created you. It's the choices you must make. It's the commitments that you must make. It's the things that you uh, have to uh, discipline and be temperate in all things. The limits that you choose to put on your life. Let's, John the Baptist, for, for example, he, he took a vow before God. And it was a vow of holiness. It was one where he said strong drink would never touch his lips. Okay? Well, look, I'm not here to debate all this, and again, this could offend a lot of folks, but they didn't have the pure water and things in Jesus' day. And so the only way to keep a beverage from potentially killing you was to allow it to ferment a little bit so that it would purify it with the alcohol in it. Okay? In our day, in our time today, we chemically manufacture alcoholic beverages to ramp up the alcoholic content. We pour, you know, bags of sugar in there to increase the alcohol content, so forth and so on. I'm not here again to debate all of that, but again, drinking wine was something that was common in their day, but there were those who made a commitment that it would never touch their lips, separating themselves from that, but also separating themselves unto God for God's purposes in their lives. Are you, are, you, are you seeing what we're talking about here? So when we talk about your cross to bear, this is not some suffering. Jesus bled to death on a cross so that you could be made righteous. He became your sin on the cross so that you could become His righteousness, not by you bleeding on a cross, so that you could just simply believe that He bled for you. Are you following this? Your cross to bear, all the things that would fall into the category of what you must do in response to what He's done for you and the life that He's called you to. You can't live any old way on planet earth and have God's best. You can't live any old way on planet earth doing whatever you want to do, whatever feels good or whatever, and and fulfill your purpose and destiny in Father's kingdom. One of the things that I remind myself of most mornings, I say it out of my mouth, my life is not my own to do with as I please. Your life is not your own to do with as you please. Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, that sounds kind of restrictive. You better know that it is. You say, well, do you not ever make a mistake all the time? And I'm not, listen to me, we'll get to this in in the later days, all right? But listen to me, please, okay? My righteousness, my standing before God is not based upon my adherence to those kinds of strict standards or things that I subject my life to. That's not what makes me right. That's That's not what makes God love me because I've been a good boy this week. No, He loves me unconditionally. He loves me. Right here, right now, tonight, 
as much as He loves Jesus. He loves me with the same love. He loves you with the same love that He loves Jesus with. There's absolutely nothing you could do tonight to make Him love you any more or make Him love you any less than He loves you right now. So we're not talking about trying to improve your standing. The only way you can improve your standing with God is for the standing that Jesus has with God to be improved because His standing with God is your standing with God if you're born again and in Him. What we're talking about here now is a whole other category of stuff. It's it's your willingness to subject yourself to restrictions in life in order to live the life that pleases God and fulfill your purpose and destiny in His kingdom. Now a lot of people read this and I'm asking you to consider it. Do not bear your cross and come after Me. You cannot be My disciple. Some people get this idea that Jesus is just like rejecting you because you won't do it. I'm offering another explanation to you. That by refusing to do it, you disqualified yourself because a disciple is one who's willing to make a commitment, an uncommon commitment, to do whatever Father God has spelled out for us to do in order to have His highest and best in our lives. (sighs) Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to end here tonight and we're going to begin here next Wednesday. Acts chapter 11. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So for the record, we've made it to page 3 tonight. All right. Let me, let me, I tell you what, rather than reading, because we need to shut this down in just a few minutes, okay? Instead of reading, let me tell you what's going on. You, later this evening or whatever, take some time if you'd like to and read, read this chapter. It's a very important chapter for a lot of reasons. But, what begins in verse 19 is we see that when Stephen was murdered because of his faith in Jesus, that it kind of created a panic and people kind of scattered. Christians kind of spread out. But it's kind of like throwing water on a grease fire that it just, they spread out and now they're just starting fires everywhere they go. And there are uh, some people um, in a place called Antioch who... Uh, hear the gospel and 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 get saved and um, and this is this is an amazing thing and so Philip uh, goes down and and uh, he has some experience there with this and um, so uh, Barnabas gets involved in it I mean uh, and I probably should just read it I could have done a faster job but these folks getting born again, um, when it comes back to the church, the headquarters in verse 22, that they decide to send Barnabas to go to Antioch and check it out. Verse 23, When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart 
they should continue with the Lord. It's funny because I saw some of you already start underlining it. Okay, You already know I'm fixing to ask you to underline something, right? That, that phrase, with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. With purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. That means more people now are getting born again. And so Barnabas, he says, hold on a second, man, we need some reinforcements down here. So Barnabas departed for a place called Tarsus to seek Saul, which we know now is also the Apostle Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians. I said it wrong on purpose so you'd understand what it means. They were first called Christians. They were first called Christians in Antioch. So what do we got here? We got some folks who never heard about Jesus, heard about Him, got interested in Jesus, called upon the name of Jesus, and got saved. Word gets back to headquarters. Headquarters sends Barnabas down to check it out. Turns out these folks in Antioch are serious in their commitment. And Barnabas begins to talk to them and teach them. And as he begins to talk to them and teach them, they're telling more people about it. Now more people are getting saved. And so Barnabas says, you, know, you guys hold right here. I'm going to go get my buddy and we'll be back. And so he goes and he gets Paul, and him and Paul come back, and Paul and Barnabas, for a whole year, something about a year, come on now, something about a year, something about committing yourself to something for a year. Okay? So he, they committed themselves to teach, but it wasn't just that Paul and Barnabas committed to teach. The people that, that were there in Antioch, they committed themselves to learn. And so you've got you know, two of the greatest Bible teachers ever lived teaching a group of people who are hungry to learn, committed to learn, and at the end of that year, something phenomenal had happened. These people who were born again, their lives were so transformed that people begin to mock them and call them Christ-like. This was not a term of endearment. This was a term of criticism. Little Christ. Walk around here, man, you just like that, that nut Jesus. Right? They, they, had become, it does, they had become so transformed through their commitment that they begin to reflect the one after a year who came to live inside of them when they first called upon His name. Are you seeing this? You hear me say this often. The inward reality of the new birth was becoming an outward expression of life. Who they became the day they called upon the name of the Lord to be saved was beginning to shine through them in such a tremendous and authentic way 
that other people were recognizing that these folks are reminding them of that guy named Jesus who was hanging out around here not too long ago. Are you seeing this, right? We throw this term right here, Christian, around way too loosely. Right? I'm not, listen, I'm not, I'm not here, I'm not, the word, I'm not here to correct anybody, I'm not the church police, alright? But these words meant something different in the Bible when they were first given than what they mean in the way we use them today. And the key difference is this. Somebody who was interested but never went to hear any further, folks who followed Him, even followed Him for a while to hear more, and were borderlining on even and sometimes were referred to as disciple. But then when it got a little hard, it got a little long, got a little cold, got a little hot, they went back, right? But then you got the folks who hung in there that would not turn loose, that said, I don't understand it, Jesus, but you've got what we're looking for and I can't find it anywhere else. So even if I don't know what you're saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm hanging with you until I either understand these things or you get tired of me following you. And of course, we know that's never going to happen, right? Now we see Jesus in heaven, Holy Spirit on earth, and this whole discipleship process taking place in the lives of people who hear, who, who believe, who follow, who receive, who become disciples, and literally have Christ formed in them. Amen. Amen. Father, you're good to us. We love you tonight. We thank you for the things that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for helping us and loving us and keeping us and protecting us. Father, I pray for every person in this room. Father, I, I know that, that the enemy comes against people to try to separate them from this process, tries to separate them from these classes. But Father, we paralyze the devil in the name of Jesus. We command him to take his junk and go, and we dismiss him and his demons from their assignment. Father, I thank You that even though there is resistance to keep people from committing themselves to this class and ultimately to the discipleship process, Father, that that resistance will be pushed through and broken through and overcome. And Father, we will not be defeated. And Jesus, You will build Your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Father, I thank You. I thank You, Father, that, that not only will these men and women be back next week, there's going to be more here, Father. And so we got to figure out where to put everybody. But I thank You, Lord, tonight for what You're doing. And we thank You for good things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen and amen. I love you all. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Good things.